You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can for you. Passover is in the rear view mirror. It was really beautiful. I hope yours was beautiful, was uh, was uh, uplifting. If you got to spend time with family, even better. Nothing like family. My children have come and gone. I um, can't remember if I told you I had built a new, not me, of course, I can't build anything, but I did have a new swing set put up in my backyard. One of these big, tall, the guy made it himself out of wood, these big, huge beams. Of course, he didn't measure properly, so I only have six swings, not seven swings. But it's big, it's tall, more, I, I don't want to say more than enough, but enough room that the grandchildren are not fighting over three swings. Now, there's six, you know, there's never enough, but but enough that pretty much we had everybody happy. Someday the weather was gorgeous, someday weather not as nice, but really, overall, a beautiful holiday. You know, I said to my wife a lot, like, it's a lot of work. Not for me. You know, I just have to show up. But, uh, but for the mothers, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of cooking and, and trying to get everybody happy and getting them rooms that they're happy and taking care of the children and giving everybody the, the time of day and everybody wants their attention, me included, but I don't get any attention. Um, but I try. You know, she tries. But in any case, um, everybody wants attention. Everybody wants to feel good. And, 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 I, I, and we, we spoke a few times over the holiday where she was just wanted everything to be perfect. Nothing can ever be perfect. You can't make everybody happy all the time. It was like each part, I said, okay, look back. Things were good. Things worked out well. So be happy. Be appreciative. She is appreciative. But you got to sort of look at the big picture, and you can't worry if this one got upset or that one got upset. There's people. There's different personalities. And there's different way people deal with different things, which is exactly what we need to talk about for this week's Torah portion. And the beginning of this week's Torah portion is really tragic, is probably the best word we could use discussing the Torah portion called Shmini. What happens? So, a little background, like always. So, the, the Jewish people got the Torah. 40 days later, they have the golden calf. Moses comes down, he has to break the tablets, Moses has to go up, has to come back down again. But God has already told Moses, my presence is not going to hang out the way it used to hang out with the Jewish people. If they want my presence, we're going to have to build a tabernacle. We're going to build this tabernacle, and it'll have the ark, and it'll have the showbread, and it'll have the menorah, and the curtains, the whole, all the rules and regulations, and the altar. And then, once it's all built and ready, then... My presence will come down and rest in the tabernacle, and I'll be back with the Jewish people. And that, by the way, will be the proof 
that I have forgiven them for the sin of the golden calf. Okay? So the end of last week's, it wasn't last week, but a few weeks ago, the end of the last Torah portion, so Moses is, is, he himself, for the first seven days, is inaugurating the tabernacle, which means he's going to assemble and disassemble, which is the wrong word for a building, but he's going to build and unbuild the tabernacle for a full week. And every day there's a whole list of sacrifices that will be brought, but Moses, for the first week, is the... is is the acting high priest. That is his job. He won't have all the special clothes of the high priest. He basically just has the long white, I think they call it a tunic in English, but it's a long white shirt. And he will be training in Aaron and his four children. There's Nadav, Avihu, Elazar, and Isamar. So Aaron is going to be, so Moses will be training in Aaron as the high priest and the sons as the priests um, he's training them in, and he's inaugurating them into the daily service. Comes day eight. It was on the eighth day. And now Moses will take a step back. Actually, Moses won't even be allowed to do the service. Now, it's the, the slaughtering everybody could do, but after catching the blood and the and the throwing of the blood and the and the throwing the different limbs onto the altar to get it burnt, all that stuff is only legal, is only allowed by a priest. So Moses will now step back and Aaron will take over. But Moses told Aaron, he says, Yeah, you're the high priest, you're starting your job today. But today, even though generally a fire will be built every morning by the priests to burn all the sacrifices on throughout the day. But for the first day, there's going to be a heavenly fire that will come down. So therefore, no fire can be built. Even though this heavenly fire is going to remain burning for, um, I don't know, is it a thousand years? Let's figure it out, right? It's 40 years in the desert. And about 750 years, about 800 years. It wasn't really burning as far as I know in the second temple. But it went all the way through uh, the tabernacle in Shiloh and then, uh, and then into the temple. So about 800 years, give or take, um, this fire, this heavenly fire will burn. But there was also a command to put on your own human fire every day. But the first day, there's going to be a heavenly fire that comes down and consumes the sacrifices. So Aaron cannot, not he, not his children, can put a fire on the altar. Okay, good. So Aaron does all the sacrifices, and he's all nervous because there's no fire coming down. So he goes to Moses and says, look, uh, I, I, didn't wanna, I didn't want this job. I, it, 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 this is not for me, right? I shouldn't be the leader because, remember, something's happening over here. Moses, it was always Moses is the leader, and Aaron is like his, I guess, second in command. He goes with him to Pharaoh, and he does the speaking, and Moses instructs Aaron what to do. But now we're sort of splitting the jobs. There is the leader, the political leader, so to speak, of Moses, and there is the spiritual leader, the high priest, because that would be the Jewish people's spiritual leader throughout the millennium. The high priest, Aaron, now has that job. He is in control. I don't want to say control is the wrong word, but he, he now has that position. So he doesn't want that position. And he says, Moses, look, I did what I was supposed to do. I told you I'm not supposed to do this job. There's no heavenly fire coming down. 
Obviously, I'm not the man for the job. God is unhappy with me, and rightfully so. And I was involved in the golden calf, even though I was trying to delay till you came down. But the fact of the matter is, I was involved with the golden calf, so uh, maybe I'm not the man. Suppose those tells Aaron, we're going to go into the tabernacle, me and you are going to pray, and God will bring down the fire. They go in, they pray, the fire comes down, and it goes from the the Holy of Holies, from the ark, out, and onto the altar. Except, and this is the tragedy part, on the way, the fire, on the way to the altar, kills Aaron's two older sons, Nadav and Aviyu. So on this special day, it says uh, ten things. The, 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 this is, is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. This is the first of the month, first of the day, first day of Nisan. This day took a lot of crowns. First day of the priests, first day of the fire, first day uh, where the tribe of Judah gets to bring the first um, sacrifice of the 12. Each tribe gets to bring one. The first for that, first day the, the God's presence will come down. Um, also, the first day of Nisan is the first day of all the months. There's a whole bunch of things that happened as firsts on this day. And on this great day, you have to imagine how great this day is. The people are so, um, I don't want to say depressed, but they know they sinned, and they, they want to know that God is forgiving them. So, and Mo's been telling them when this, when the, when the God's presence, when the Shrine comes down, that will be the sign that God has forgiven you for the golden calf. And on this great day, these two special, they weren't children, these two special men, Nadva and Aviyu, die right at the time where there's supposed to be so much joy and celebration. These two great people die. Let me give you an, an idea of how great they were. It's clear that if Moses and Aaron were to die, or retire, but they don't get to retire, then this Nadav and Aviyu would be the ones to take over. Not only that, they knew they were the ones to take over because the Medrash tells us they would have conversations saying, when will these two old men move along and let us take over? We could do a better job. They knew that as far as leadership, they were really next in line to lead the Jewish people, and here they go and they die. So this is just a, a tragedy. So there's a lot of questions right at this spot. First of all, we need to know what they did wrong. Like, they must have done something wrong to deserve to die. They're not just dying for no reason. And what's the lesson that they die now? That's the first things we have to deal with. So first of all, it is fascinating. The commentaries actually have a long laundry list of all the things they did wrong. First of all, I think I wrote down a whole bunch. Nah, I didn't write down any. I'm supposed to remember it in my heart. So first of all, they never got married. Why they never get married? Because they were so great that they felt that there's no one worthy of marrying them. They just couldn't find a girl or wife that was as great as they were that they should marry. Now, why do they deserve to get killed over that? They deserve it because... Um, in, in not only in Jewish law, in Jewish philosophy, in Jewish theory, in Jewish thought, um, people are supposed to get married and have children. There is no such thing that we say that a person is too holy to get married. We do not believe in that. That there's a Christian thought like that. Um, but in Jewish thought, 
um, we do not say I'm too holy to get married. And what happens by marriage is is a sin and who knows what. We don't believe that. We believe it's holy. It is special. It is important. Bringing children into the world is most important. So we look down on someone who chooses not to get married. I'm not saying, you know, things happen. People are married. You have to get divorced. Things happen. I'm not, that's not the discussion. But to go ahead and say, I am too holy to get married is not a Jewish thought. And therefore, for that alone, they deserve to die. However, that's not the end of the laundry list. But by the way, for that alone, that would be a lesson for the Jewish people always to know that we don't say that, we, that we're too holy to get married. It's, it's a sin. We don't say that. It is important to get married. It, the husband-wife relations are not a sin. It is a holy thing. It is a special thing. It is a beautiful thing. And that is how people have to think. So that's one. Second of all, they, um, they brought a strange fire. That's what the verse says. What was this strange fire? What was this fire they were not supposed to be bringing? So that also is debatable. The fire wasn't coming down from heaven. So Nadim and Aviyu said, look, we know the Torah says that every day there's supposed to be human fire. So it's true that we know that a heavenly fire is coming down, but maybe um, we're supposed to bring this human fire. So they brought it. Not only that, as part one, but like A, 1A, 1B, um, they, they were deciding law when Moses and Aaron are right there. Why are you not asking Moses and Aaron, are we allowed to bring our own fire? When the greatest leaders are there, you don't get to go ahead and say, I will decide what the law is. Go ask him. For not asking alone, they deserve a death sentence. Um, furthermore, um, some say that they brought that strange fire means they brought the incense into the Holy of Holies. They did not have permission to do that. Um, others say they drank wine. Now, the idea of drinking wine, it doesn't mean they got uh, drunk. But, but we know holidays now. Um, used to, there's a, a Torah command to, be, to enjoy, to be happy on the holiday. So for men, it meant eating meat, but really meat from sacrifices. And for women and children, it would be buy them clothes, buy them jewelry, something to lift up the spirit. Nowadays, we don't have meat that we sacrifice. So the rabbis say, let's have a glass of wine. Because wine also causes a person to be joyous. Now, it's very possible they felt that, that since this is a very joyous day, to add to the joy, we'll drink a cup of wine. They were trying to get drunk. They did not get drunk. Their brains were working fine. But the law is that a priest that drinks wine is not allowed to serve in, in the, in this case, the tabernacle or in the temple uh, until the wine is gone, taken after half an hour, whatever it takes. So this is the basic list of what they did wrong, which is interesting that we even look for a list. These were great people. Generally speaking, we don't look to find what they did wrong. But the question is, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, these are okay. Nothing is okay. But it doesn't sound like these deserve a death penalty. I mean, I'm not saying that it's good that somebody on their level should drink the wine or should or should decide law, or should not get married, or should, uh, you know, bring the fire up, or go into the Holy of Holies. But why did something like that bring with it a death penalty? 
So really, it's an earlier verse in the Torah. And that is, God says, Bikrovai Ekadesh. With my close ones, I will become holy. A king, now this is, you know, nowadays you can't, you know, we don't relate to this. But when a king would get inaugurated back, you know, back, way back when, again, not nowadays, um, the, a king had to show that I am um, I am in command. I am the king. So for a king to execute a common criminal does not teach people to fear the king. He's a common criminal. Nobody cares about him. But what if the king were to execute one of his generals who stepped out of line? Because when you're in the king's presence, you're supposed to know better. So if the king could go ahead and execute a general for a slight infraction that was done in front of him, that tells everybody that this king, you don't get away with nothing. You don't get away with anything in front of this king. You better be on your best behavior. You better have the proper respect. You have to have the proper discipline, especially when you're in the king's inner circle. And as people go through life and they say, I'm a special person. God needs me. I have this job I do for God. I have that job I do for God. Uh, God cannot afford, whatever that means, God cannot afford to let me just get killed. I have so many important jobs to do for God. God's going to just let things slide. Okay, a little infraction here, a little something over here. Um, I could get away with it. It'll, uh, we'll, we'll let it slide. So here, God is showing the Jewish people Nothing slides by. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have patience and God doesn't wait and God is merciful. All true. But at the end of the day, no one can ever say, I'm so good that God has to let things slide. There's no such thing. Everything is accounted for. Maybe God has patience and God's going to wait and God's going to see if you repent. All that is true. But you can never think that I can get away with something. And that becomes the biggest lesson of all, that these great people, God says, I can't let you get away with anything, and I will prove that to the Jewish people forever. So after all said and done, um, I, I, I saw the other day something really fascinating. And that is, and I really started with that, there's different parts of leadership. There's different types of leaders. There's different things they're leaders in. Aaron is the spiritual leader. To be a spiritual leader, you need to take your time. You need to be reluctant. You need to be perfect. His Aaron's sons thought like leaders. They did have leadership qualities, right? But their leadership in their mind, all leadership was the same. And they were almost more of a political type leader. You got to get out there and you got to move and you can't delay and you can't show people that, you, that you're that you indecisive. You, you, you got to just move, go. There's a question of what to do right now. We, we just act. That might not even, that could be debatable if that kind of leadership could work. I'm calling it political, but... It just means like the king and the and the high priest. I'm just juxtaposing those two. A king, which I'm calling political, again, for lack of a better term, 
and the high priest, which we call spiritual. So those two types of leaders are completely different. And Aaron was reluctant. He was, he, he was fearful of leadership, right? So it's, uh, people say very poetically, but it's really true, right? And if you fear, if you're afraid to be the leader, then you are the guy we want. Then you can be great. But if you already think you're great, if you've already decided that you are a great leader, you'll be a terrible leader, right? Aaron is afraid to step up. He understands what he's getting into. He understands what this leadership means. So therefore, since he's afraid of it, doesn't mean he doesn't know how to do it. Of course he knows how to do it. And he knows what to do. And he knows what the responsibility is. But because he recognizes what that responsibility is, so he's afraid, he's fearful. I don't want to say he's afraid. He's not, he's not going to not do what has to be done. He's not going to be indecisive. He knows what he has to do. But he's not running to do it. He's the perfect person to be the leader. The guy who's raising his hand, pick me because I know how to lead and I'm not worried at all, that's the person. That's the person we have to worry about. Now, it's interesting, by the way. So, uh, so they die. So Moses tells Aaron, he says, uh, you know, it's interesting. We, uh, look what we've gone through. Ten, first of all, the, the slavery. Because they're both in their 80s, right? Um, we've gone through the slavery. We've gone through the ten plagues. We've gone through leaving Egypt. We've gone through being frightened by the Egyptian army and, and, uh, and the Red Sea. And we've gotten the Torah and the golden calf. And now the tabernacle. We can relax. Life is good. Everything will be fine. We can coast. So real leaders, real leaders find out you never get to coast. There's no coasting. There's always more. And it says Aaron is quiet. Aaron is quiet. He accepted. There's nothing else to say. He is quiet. Um, one more thing about leaders. And I'm not sure how much time I have left, but I, I do want to try to get through it. If not, maybe I'll say it in the next uh, segment. Um, over the holidays, I read this most amazing book. It's called Living Legend by a man who's still alive in Israel. His name is uh, Yitzhak David Grossman. This man is unbelievable. I mean, he's created a campus, not just a school, but multiple elementary schools, high schools, um, social services, um, almost like orphanages and daycare centers. He's done it in Israel up in a place called Migdal Amek. He's helped out those that have, you know, fallen off and, and no one wants to care of them. He's taking care of all these people, thousands and thousands and thousands of children he's touched. Um, and he's also well-connected politically in Israel. And he's always been connected politically. So what happened was there were some great rabbis in Israel and they wanted this Yitzhak David Grossman to become the next Ashkenazi chief rabbi. It's a 10-year position. It's a political position. And they felt that he could accomplish more than anybody. So these, we're talking about the leading rabbis, went to him and said, you gotta, you got to accept this position. And he's, he was reluctant. Like all good leaders are supposed to be reluctant. He said, okay, let me ask my father. He goes to his father, and his father says, you can't do it. 
Okay? My father says he can't do it. He goes back to these leading rabbis, and he says, my father says no. So these rabbis went to his father. They asked for meetings with his father. They, they wrote letters back and forth with his father. And, uh, but he didn't budge. The father didn't budge. Well, the newspapers got wind that this person who was in line to be the chief Ashkenazi rabbi, it's a 10-year position. Okay, the music is playing. We've got to finish up the story quick. And uh, they asked and they said, uh, your father said no. D- did you ask your father, like, why? So Yitzhak David says, I was brought up when my father says no, he doesn't have to give us an answer. And the country went wild. The children could understand that that's how we respect our parents. Our parents say no, no is no. And I'd love to get more into this story, but I cannot. The music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David, Kelsey, and Alan in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. Things from far.